In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We have all heard someone use this phrase before. If we are honest, we will probably admit that even if we haven't used it, we have thought it. Children use it. Politicians use it. Athletes use it. And probably many good Christian folk use it too from time to time. It's not fair. Now, usually there are two ways that we use this phrase. The first is in a seeking for justice to be rendered back into our favor. The verdict wasn't fair. I didn't know I was speeding. The grave I received wasn't fair. They said my arguments weren't sound enough. My mother is dying of cancer, and that isn't fair. She's never done anything wrong to anyone. We all have these encounters at times, from personal finance problems to problems and issues with the Homeowners Association. And let's get ready as this election season is drawing to a close because I bet someone somewhere is going to challenge one of the elections because it isn't fair. Many of us reading this parable with 21st century eyes might jump on the bandwagon and say, that's right. It's not fair. The people who have been hired in the morning deserve to receive more. If there are any union employees here, some of you might protest that equal work for equal pay is required in this situation. Or some of us might have even worked at a company for 15, 20, 25 years only to have some new guy, some kid, come in. And they already make more on their first day than you do. None of this is fair, right? Well, the first thing we need to do is to realize that Jesus is purposely telling a rather bizarre parable. This is not a story about social justice or social reform. It is not about equal wages or even fair wages. This is a story about the second type of fairness that Jesus asks us to consider. But more about that in just a minute. Let's look at some of the characters and terms that are used in this story. First, a denarius is what we would commonly call a fair day's wage. In Texas, if someone works 40 hours at our current minimum wage, they would make about $290 a week, or $36.25 per day before taxes and other deductions. But our government has determined that this is a fair day's wage, the bottom end of it. So let's just use that figure. Now, all of us know that realistically, this wage is not much to live on and is only able to be maintained by someone who is extremely frugal if it is even a sustainable wage at all. 
Let's go back now to the first century and employ a similar argument. A day's wage was enough to probably sustain a worker. But, if you start adding in a wife, unless she was also employed or had her own craft of baking or sewing that she could sell, then you had children and possibly elderly relatives that could no longer work, the day's wage of the denarius is rather meager. And it wasn't guaranteed. What we might call seasonal laborers would be hard put to keep a job, which is one reason why the master of the vineyard went to the marketplace. He was looking for day laborers. Now, by going to the market, the lord of the vineyard is looking for people who need a job, need a wage to take home bread. He agrees to pay them a fair wage. They accept. A deal is struck. A contract is signed. And off they go. Now, here is where the bizarre episodes begin to happen. We have the Lord return to the marketplace, hire more laborers, and notice he only says that he will pay them what is fair. Later still he returns, with only an hour or so of daylight left, light by which to work, and he never discusses payment, yet hires them as well. Now, any of us who are business owners would pull out our hair at the next episode. He pays everyone the same wage. I've employed people before to help gather cattle or crops, and never would I think to pay someone who came at 10 o'clock in the morning, who has lifted hay, hay bales in our South Texas heat, the same as someone who came at 7 in the evening as the day began to cool. They haven't done the same work. Now, think back to the beginning of this sermon, and I said that we sometimes construct what we consider as fair in terms of justice. But there is a second fairness that Jesus is pointing to, and that is of the generosity of God. What if we read the story like the community that read Matthew's gospel would have heard and understood it? Let's, let's give it a try. Biblical scholars believe that the Christians who read this gospel were mainly Jewish converts to Christianity, or the way, as it was known, but because of both disagreement with Jewish officials or rival synagogues, and the conversion of Gentiles who were God-fearers to the way, that Matthew's recalling of this parable had a somewhat singular purpose. The purpose was to make sure everyone understood that it didn't matter if you became a member of the way right after Pentecost, or if it was a few years after the Christians were turned out of the temple and synagogues, 
or even later still as the new generation of children were coming up. Everyone who comes, everyone who joins in the way, who commits themselves to working for the kingdom will all receive the same wage, the same reward, the same grace, the same love of God, as long as we commit ourselves to that work. This is where the great generosity of Almighty God would have been recognized. Not only is the story that Jesus is telling somewhat bizarre, but the very measure of God's gift to us is bizarre beyond comparison. It's grace. God's grace. And it is not only offered freely to all, but we all receive it in equal measures to those around us. The measure of grace given to me is the same as all those disciples from 2,000 years ago, and the same given to you, and the same given to the people on the other side of this world, both in time and space, and is the same measure generously, freely offered, and given even the world's most notorious sinners or even political dictators. And that is what Matthew is trying to tell his hearers and us today as well. This Jesus was here on earth and he called some laborers, the disciples, and he called more laborers too. Remember how Matthew ends? Go ye into all the world and make disciples. And they did. And those who were made new disciples went on. And we are here today because the laborers didn't grumble. They didn't worry about the wages. But the wages are the same for everyone. And that's our call too. We are the 11th hour laborers who in these latter days are called to work while we can. To show this poor aching world what that grace looks like when it is lavishly given out. Think about our Old Testament lesson. The children of Israel crying out for bread. And they were given manna from heaven. The bread of angels, as the psalmist says. But there were strict rules governing how much manna to take and gather each day. Only enough that was needed for that day. Notice, we don't pray... Give me today my weekly bread. Or, give me today that which I am due for the month. But instead, give us. Give us this 
day our daily bread. And it is always us. It is always about the community and the good of the whole. One of the reasons the laborers were paid at the end of the workday was so they could purchase food for that night. Usually, some of it might have been bread as well. It was bread to take to a family. It was so the community would be able to stay alive. God's grace is not fair. It is generous. Generous not only because he offers it to all of us and everyone we know, but also generous because he doesn't have to give it at all. Sometimes we become like the laborers from the early morning and wonder why we've been given what we perceive to be less or they to be given what we think is more. But we must always remember that it is not just room for one more, but that there is room for two more and five more and 15,000 more who would come at whatever time. There is always room because God's love, God's grace, and God's mercy is what he wages out to us all in an abundance that we could never possibly deplete. Let me close with some words of the Reverend Frederick Faber that might be familiar to you as they are in our hymnal, which I think sum this whole idea up better than I can. There's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. There's a kindness in his justice which is more than liberty. There is no place where earth's sorrows are more felt than up in heaven. There's no place where earth's failings have such kindly judgment given. For the love of God is broader than the measure of man's mind. And the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. But we make his love too narrow by false limits of our own. And we magnify his strictness with a zeal he would not own. There is plentiful redemption in the blood that has been shed. There is joy for all the members in the sorrow of the head. There is grace enough for thousands of new worlds as great as this. There is room for fresh creations in that upper room of bliss. If our love were but more simple, we should take him at his word, and our lives would be all gladness in the joy of Christ.
Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.